Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton. And I'm Haley Wooden. Destination BC had the chance to take Google Street View technology to remote locations throughout the province. So coming up later on, CEO Marsha Walden will join us to talk more about that initiative, as well as how the organization is capitalizing on the Canada-China Year of Tourism. It's also a good time to talk about one of our most notable events because BIV is once again looking to recognize BC's outstanding entrepreneurs, executives, managers, and professionals in public, private, and nonprofit sectors who are ahead of their time. Nominations for the 2018 40 Under 40 Awards close July 30th. So go visit BIV.com slash events for details. And a range of innovative, disruptive technology has emerged to provide financial services and systems that conduct transactions and aim for greater efficiency. And you can join us September 13th for BIV's FinTech panel, where we'll be talking all about that kind of technology and how small and medium-sized businesses can make informed decisions in this new landscape. For more information, head on over to BIV.com slash events. Right after this, former GE executive Vishal Agarwal, he joins us with leadership advice for those looking to rise through the ranks of a multinational company. Our next guest believes that if you give, you get. Vishal Agarwal was a Global Top 500 senior leader for General Electric. He started as an intern with PricewaterhouseCoopers and rose through the company's ranks to become a senior deals partner. Today, he is the chairman and CEO of his own private investment management firm called Full Circle Africa. And he's also the author of the new book, Give to Get, a senior leader's guide to navigating corporate life. Vishal, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Hello and greetings from Nairobi, Kenya. It's good to have you on the program here in Vancouver. I want to ask you, what did you expect corporate life would be like when you first got into the corporate world? I thought it would be a party. I would get promotions and bonuses (laughs) and uh, salary increases all day long, as as most young people do, right? I thought my employer was going to invest in training and development. and uh, All I had to do was work hard and I would keep rising. I'm being a little fastidious, but as most young people, you know, the expectation was more about um, what is this big brand going to give me, right? I mean, and that's the mindset of what I find a lot of young people coming into the workforce. And and I, too, Mm. was one of them 25 years ago. Interesting. Now, some people may not expect a full-on party, but I think it's fair to say a lot of people expect that if you do work hard, you will advance in your career. What was the reality like working for a multinational company? Look, first of all, from the hard work standpoint, I always say um, hard work is kind of a restaurant advertising, I have egg conditioning, okay? Mm. You know, that, that is not a feature that matters anymore. Hard work might have been my grandfather's time. My father's time might have been smart work. And today, as a mid-40s senior executive, I think in my mind, it is a outcomes-driven work environment. So as long as you're delivering, as long as you're producing great outcomes, that's what matters. And it's sadly not hard work, which is the baseline expectation. Now, Vishal, 
the way that you described it is everything that is going through my head when I got into the workforce about 10 years ago after university, I figured, yes, you know, there'd be promotions, pay increases all day long. What was the moment for you that made you kind of rethink what your misperceptions were at the time as a young worker just entering the workforce? Well, I, I realized that um, navigation, stakeholder management, building trust and relationships was actually everything that we needed to learn and um, mitigate and, and, and do better in order to be successful. So trust and relationship being key of them, but knowing how to navigate, knowing how to building stakeholder relationships, it was not enough that you did great work. It mattered that you brought people along with you. It mattered that you built consensus. It mattered that you understood where your colleagues were coming from. And I think that was kind of the learning that didn't happen day one. It happened as I now zoom out and look at it, you know, over a 25-year career. Mm-hmm. You've outlined a, a series of really important soft skills. Do corporate environments typically lend themselves to providing people a form for learning these skills and figuring out how to master stakeholder relations or, or how to really build a following and engender trust? Ah, that bring, that's a really important question because the soft skills I submit to both of you today are actually the core skills that we need, right? If you, mm -hmm. if you follow the thesis of hard work is a given, and today in our workforce, we're able to hire smarter and smarter people, smarter than us every day, with more um, accomplishments in terms of college degrees and going to better universities than each one of us could dream of in, in, you know, in our contemporary uh, you know, times, then what really matters is actually EQ in leaders, the emotional um, IQ, so to speak, the EQ, what really matters is all the stuff that you call the soft skills that I call the core skills. So yes, companies do a mixed job and perhaps not a great job developing their workforce um, when it comes to these skills that are so essential. But, but this is why I, I call upon leaders to do more themselves build self-awareness, and reach out to help and mentor others. For a lot of people, those EQ skills, they come very naturally. It's very intuitive. But there's other people, we've all worked with them, where maybe it's not the most natural thing for them. How do we kind of cultivate that? Or is it just a very difficult road to travel for some people if we need to help them with that development? Um, a really good question. I, I think that um, feedback has become a little bit of a bad word right, in the way it's implemented, but having regular conversations with team members, mentoring them, getting them assistance from a coaching standpoint, not in a I'm slapping your wrist manner, but I, I see potential in you and I want, want to invest in you manner, right? I think those are some of the things that I call upon, you know, peers and companies to do in terms of investing in people that 
you know, and and I have a lot of time um, and admiration I, I, for Jeff Immelt, for example. I realized today General Electric is going through a hard time, and and there are lots of mixed emotions about leadership. But I've spent personal time with with Jeff, and what one of the things I learned as he looked at talent as enterprise resources. He looked at talent as more important than factories. And, and looking at your people in that manner is key to empowering them and helping them succeed. Mm-hmm. Talent as more than just factories. That's an interesting one. I think sometimes, and we've heard from notable CEOs, maybe they rushed to automate or rushed and forgot the human factor. And it seems, we shall. sometimes we do glorify CEOs that not to say they don't have high levels of EQ, but they're known for their brashness or for being a bulldozer or they get themselves into trouble, but they're idolized in a way. Have you noticed that as well? Yeah, I think that is not contemporary, though. I, I, I live in the same world as you. So, yes, the answer to your question is yes, but I think that's not contemporary. Um, I think a contemporary leader today is a servant leader. A contemporary leader today is there to build and serve and and deliver and empower. Because in reality, what is the real job of C-suite leaders, right? I mean, I facetiously uh, often say in front of large groups that I haven't worked in years. And what I mean by that is the core artisan skills that I first got recruited into my corporate life for and the first several years of my my career, the hard artisan skills, those skills, as you move on in your career, you hardly get to practice, right? It becomes more of a managerial, general manager, you know, kind of role. So what does that actually entail? It, it really means the hard work you do is, is delivering value by serving stakeholders, by serving customers, by serving your staff. And, and I think that must transcend itself in behavior as well. So, you know, to, to your question, uh, you know, the more you sit on that high horse, the more distant you get from your teams, the more distant you get from your teams, the less emotional connection you have to them, right? Which can't be good. I also think back to my early career, and if you're ever put into a leadership role, I think about the stuff that I do differently versus now. And I remember uh, just the first supervisory role I ever had, Like I, I think I was too indecisive. I, I wanted to hear every single permutation of every single possibility. So that's one thing that I've recognized over about 10 years. But for you, what are some of those common errors that young leaders often make when they are first put into these leadership positions? Um leaders often say and feel and show in their body language, I am the boss. They play the boss card. Okay. They often talk out of both sides of their mouth. They don't therefore practice the things they preach. Um, They um, get into uh, conflicts because they have position and power and the corner office they think it's okay to display emotion and anger publicly. They treat service poorly. They get into industrial conflicts or head-to-head collisions with, with uh, staff members um, very openly. They show their favorites openly, 
right? So they demonstrate favoritism amongst team members openly. Those are some common habits of of leaders that I I've always seen fail. Hmm. Because the corporate world is not like a party, like maybe we once imagined, uh, there there is a level of competition. Unless for at the, unless the at promotion. the Christmas event, right? Your year red. Yes, which everyone looks forward to. But that aside, if it's not late December and we're not partying, there is some competition, right, for raises or recognition or training opportunities. Uh, how can leaders maintain a mindset of giving to get while also ensuring that they themselves are progressing in their career and down their own path? That's a really good question and, and sort of the soul of some of my deliberations, right? So, so first, I... I'm off the philosophy that if you give, it comes back, right? And, and I don't mean it in a philanthropic, guru-like manner. I mean it in a, this makes good business sense manner. So learning from my commercial negotiation hat, you know, I'm a commercial negotiator by way of background, I found that if I was in a negotiation and I opened the negotiation with a proposal, I offered something to the counterpart, I usually got something back. And that set a really good pace for the negotiation. As I applied that to my career and my personal life uh, from a career standpoint and relationships, I found that it served me well. So, so the first piece is, you know, give, it does come back. Give to get is what I call my book, right? So that, that and, and when I say give, I mean give trust and relationship. Ultimately, what you must give is trust and relationship, okay? So the, that's the, the giving to getting back. And then the second piece of this is around, well, um, we all understand that we must shine the torch on, on our teammate, teammates and our staff and, and make sure that they get recognition. But in reality, to your question, Henley, you know, we must also get credit. And leaders that don't understand that um, they're being evaluated every day for however big or small they are as leaders themselves are, are just have blind spots, right? So we must also, as leaders, get credit and, and be able to demonstrate that we have delivered outcomes. How do you do that? Now, one of the ways you can get credit yourself without pumping your chest at the water cooler and saying, I did a great job, is by building the stakeholder community, by demonstrating to your peers and your bosses that you had a plan and that you are pulsing them on, pulsing them on a regular basis with, their, with your plan, keeping them updated on your plan, right? And speaking to your plan with a large variety of stakeholders. When there is mm -hmm. a success, therefore, people don't forget you, right? Because you did all that hard work. Right. Vishal, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for joining our show. And my last question is, where can we find the book? Uh, on Amazon, on Kindle, it's called Give to Get. Uh, the book website is called givetogetbook.com. And I love to hear back from um, listeners and readers. So my, my uh, LinkedIn is Vishal Agarwal Africa. My Twitter is Vishal's Voice. And I'd love to get feedback.
Perfect. Well, thank you again for joining us on the show. It was great to have your insight on the program. My pleasure. Thank you both. That's Vishal Agarwal. He's the chairman and CEO of the firm Full Circle Africa. And of course, the author of the book we were discussing, Give to Get, A Senior Leader's Guide to Navigating Corporate Life. Summertime in BC, Tyler, do you have any plans to be a tourist in your own home over the next few weeks? In my own uh, cramped apartment. I'm getting <laughs> out of the cramped apartment. I'm going to enjoy uh, the uh, island uh, coming up pretty soon. My brother's nice. over there. We're going to hit a Victoria, go to a concert. Uh, there's going to be a craft beer festival. So yes, to answer your question, out of the apartment, over to the island. Beautiful. I also want to go to the island. It's a great time of year to head over there, have family yep. there. It's on my list. For sure. Well, for anyone around the world interested in BC, that may be in part due to Destination BC's efforts around marketing our province to the world. The latest visitor data for March actually shows more people from Europe, the US, the Asia Pacific region are all visiting BC more than those that did last year. Now, the organization's efforts were also recognized with by the BC chapter of the American Marketing Association. They won their coveted Marketer of the Year Award just a few days ago. We're joined now on the line by Marsha Walden, CEO at Destination BC, to talk more about the organization's work. Marsha, good to have you on the show. Oh, good morning to both of you, Tyler and Haley. Now, I understand your team, you actually took 360 footage of remote parts of BC for Google Street View. Tell us a bit about that initiative and how it ties into, say, marketing BC. Mm-hmm. Well, we uh, actually pitched Google to um, have an opportunity to use what's called the Google Trekker and take that through all parts of uh, the wilderness in BC. As part of Google's global mapping technology, they wanted the opportunity to showcase areas beyond just the urban environments um, globally. So we were one of very few on the planet to have access to this over the course of the summer last year, and we trekked over a thousand kilometers of British Columbia um, in an effort to showcase what is possible in, in the backcountry, really, of of our beautiful province. And um, we shared that content globally through our BC Explorer campaign that uh, we used in digital last year. Was there anything that you encountered during this or like just looking through this footage that you were kind of blown away with? Or you didn't even realize, wow, we have this in our own backyard and I'm having access to it in a way that I never did before. Well, not every hike is for the faint of heart, I must admit, Um, and uh, I'm not uh, the type to typically put um, crampons on or anything when I go in the wilderness, but uh, I think there's a great variety that was exposed through this tool, Um, not only you know, wonderful, easy hikes like the ancient forests up in Prince George that just takes you into this stunning old growth, uh, lush environment uh, to really hiking up the most craggy mountaintops you can imagine and having vistas that just go to eternity. So we really saw both sides of British Columbia um, for all kinds of people that really um, get something powerful out of exposing themselves to nature. Yeah, and for those who want to keep two feet firmly planted on the ground, they can also tour some parts of BC without having to uh, get the heart rate up too high. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm curious whether part of, say, the destination picking experience now for people around the world, is it 
is part of it the ability to say, view where you're going to go? Do people want to be able to experience, okay, this is what I'm going to see? Do they want it to be a surprise? What are consumers expecting now? Mm-hmm. Well, the way consumers choose how they travel um, is probably not that different than it was um, many years ago in terms of they still really rely on the recommendations of friends, family, um, etc., colleagues. What has changed is how they then use that information to start exploring a destination. So previously, they may have gone down to a travel agent or they'd look for brochures or they might go to a website, but now they seek content in a variety of ways. So it's really important for us to be able to give them a glimpse into what that experience might look and feel like. And they use that to help um, sort of put in some anchor tenants of their trip. You know, they, they figure out what areas they want to go to um, and, and they highlight things that they might like to do. But most travelers also like to leave a good sense of serendipity along the way. And with all the digital tools now available to travelers, there's real opportunity for them to just do whatever takes them in the moment by searching online for um, a, a hike or a special restaurant or some kind of experience that uh, might just appeal to them in the moment. If you look at the tourism numbers, though, we've got tourists coming in from a wide range of locations. Uh, Haley mentioned at the top, Europe, the United States, Asia Pacific. How important, I guess, is this British Columbia brand that is so out there with people globally that it's able to attract people from just all these disparate parts of the of the entire world? Mm-hmm. Well, it's really important because um, tourism is among the most competitive industries in the world, and it's also growing faster than most industries in the world. So if you imagine that just as recently as 2012, there were about a billion travelers internationally going around the planet visiting various parts. By 2030, that number will be 2 billion. So think of the growth rate that we are looking in international travel. And governments and businesses, of course, around the world have really awoken to the potential there, and they're competing like crazy to get their share of international travelers. So having a strong brand, um, which is really the only um, the thing that only a destination marketer can do in bringing together a sense of place, um, that is a collection of all the individual experiences and cities and uh, individual businesses that exist in a place, having that strong brand uh, compel people to visit you is a critical part of how you compete in that space. Yeah, that's a good point. How do you choose what to surface, what to promote? There's so much here that's worth seeing in BC. How do you choose just a handful without overexposing what we have to offer or inundating people with content? Yes, well, absolutely. We are um, we're so fortunate to have such an abundance of things to talk about. Uh, but focus is important in marketing, and um, so we do choose some of what we know to be primary travel motivators. And so um, most of the world still visits urban centers primarily. But what's special about British Columbia is that its urban centers are just perched on the end of uh, on the edge of true wilderness. It's not just, um, you know, a, a walk through Central Park. I mean, you are, you are really exposed to, uh, let's say, in, in Vancouver, to the edge of true wilderness that goes on for many, many um, uh, miles. And 
beyond that, going into the wilderness is very, very accessible. So people choose British Columbia because they're attracted to what we have here in terms of a natural setting. They're fascinated by our wildlife. They want to see these rugged coastlines that we have and the Rocky Mountains. So the core of our appeal is that supernatural British Columbia, um, clearly. And then we layer in different aspects of what makes um, us even more unique. Indigenous culture, for instance, is so rich in this part of Canada and unique in the world. Um, the kind of culinary experiences you can now have here are really exceptional and also um, competitive with most major destinations in the world. So there are different layers, but our primary motivator still remains that opportunity to touch nature. Well, Marsha, I got to ask, I mean, because this is peak season right now, I'm sure it's very busy for everybody at Destination BC. Are you able to get out there every once in a while during these nice summer months, like go on vacation, enjoy some of these cool destinations across the province? Oh, me personally? Absolutely. Nice. Um, what's uh, really marvelous for us, actually, about the nature of our industry is when when the external part of our industry is super busy, they actually don't have time to talk to us much. Oh. So we, <laughs> <laughs> we tend to be busier in the spring and fall. And in the peak season, um, we have a little more thinking time and office time and time for our team to really put our minds to what we're going to be doing uh in the next year, and also holiday time. And, and I personally love to go up to the Shuswap region. I spend a lot of time in and around Howe Sound and Whistler and other parts. And um, Vancouver Island uh, is a great favorite. I have a brother in Prince Rupert, so I love to go up north. Um, I'm all over the place. Very nice. We know, too, this year is Canada-China Year of Tourism. How is Destination BC maybe capitalizing on, on this national initiative? Mm-hmm. Well, it was terrific when the federal government uh, signed this agreement with uh, with China, and um, we are working uh, really under the lead of Destination Canada and helping support them and um, the activities they're doing. They were given a $9 million budget bump um, in order to fully leverage this opportunity, and so we sort of slipstream in behind many of their activities. Um, but we've also done independent things. So, for instance, our uh, minister... Uh, Lisa Barrett uh, went on a provincial mission in January, um, signed an MOU with WeChat, which is the significant, most significant uh, social channel in China for uh, us to co-market with. Um, we've done a lot of hosting of Chinese travel trade here. So those are the tour operators that bring in big groups into uh, Canada. Um, we have a... a um, uh, a tour operator meeting that to where we host fam trips for tour operators from China. And generally, we have an in-market in rep uh, in Beijing that spends a lot of time just educating and familiarizing uh, consumers and travel trade with what we have to offer here in British Columbia. And I can tell you, it's exceptionally appealing to the Chinese traveler, and we're doing very, very well in that market. Well, I have to ask because as you know, the tourism industry develops, I'm sure there's trends that develop over the years as well. I, I don't know if 20 years ago people would have come to BC as, say, a foodie destination, but I think now that's something you could really push forward with. Are there any trends that you've noticed just the last few years that are, that are still carrying on right now? 
Mm-hmm. Well, wine and culinary, as you pointed out, really is um, a big part of travel. It probably always has been. Um, you know, food is a is a big motivator for humans generally, but we all haven't always had the great product that we do now, and so it's something we can really talk about. We have fantastic wine regions, um, really throughout the province, but of course the most famous being in the Okanagan. Um, and the culinary product in our urban centers um, is really stellar now. And uh, of course, we have a burgeoning craft brewery industry. I heard you reference it earlier, Tyler. And that uh, things like the BC Ale Trail are suddenly, you know, in and of themselves, uh, a great way to see and tour the province and have a purpose for um, for your driving around and and getting a taste of different parts. Um, uh, of the province that's often really locally represented in how craft beer is brewed. Um, other trends, sports tourism has become a very big driver of growth in some parts of the province. Um, so for instance, take what Kamloops has been has been doing with its sports tourism uh, and sports event uh, marketing. They attract um, uh, professional sports, amateur sports. They have a huge infrastructure now dedicated to supporting that. They have exceptional volunteer um, uh, infrastructure and they do very, very well just out of focusing on something like the sports world and all of the traveling teams and people that support those teams. So much to do, so much to see. Marsha, thanks so much for joining us on the show today and happy travels this summer. Oh, thank you. And same to you. I hope you will both get out there and explore BC. We hope to. That's Marsha Walden, CEO over at Destination BC. And that's it for BIV Today. Thank you for listening. Make sure to tell your friends to subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. And you can also leave us a review, which is appreciated. And you can find more stories on business over at BIV.com. Thanks again for listening.